The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal versus Brentford in the Premier League. A huge, huge game for the Gunners after suffering their second defeat in the Premier League uh, last weekend at Everton. Things were a little bit nervy. Thankfully, that lot down the road did us a bit of a favour and made sure that they took all three points off of Manchester City, meaning that we ended up with the same gap in the same position, essentially, that we started, but a game further down the line. So, as I said to you guys last week, I'd much rather look at it as glass half full rather than glass half empty, but it was a warning for Arsenal. And it was a reminder that if you're not at the top of your game, if you turn up and you're not at it, if you, you know, drop off in terms of your levels in this division, you will be punished, even by the sides languishing down at the bottom of the table. You know, obviously, there was a lot of talk around that Everton game. We talked about new manager bounce and all of that. Um you know, and, and that was something that I think a lot of us were wary of going into the game. But I don't think anybody envisaged seeing Arsenal play as badly as they did. And so subsequently, people were shocked, weren't they, by the outcome of that one. Uh, big hello to everybody in the live chat joining me. Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Uh, so great to see you uh, in your numbers in the live chat box ahead of this one. And just worth noting for those of you that are tuning into this a little bit later, whether you're watching it or listening to it. This is being recorded about an hour before Mikel Arteta is due to face the media. So I did think about waiting until Mikel Arteta's press conference had already taken place so that this would be as up to date as it possibly can be. But then I thought about it and I thought then I'm sort of closing the window in terms of the opportunity that people have to listen to it between Obviously, whenever it is, you're sticking it in your ears and, and the kickoff. But also, I thought about what Mikel Arteta normally does in his press conferences and what he normally gives us. And the answer is not really that much. I'm sure he's going to be asked about Manchester City situation. I'm sure he's going to be asked about team news and all of that. But it feels like a lot of it is going to be centered around the Manchester City stuff, given his connection to the club, given his relationship with Pep Guardiola and the fact that he was there. Um, you know, during some of that successful period that is now obviously under scrutiny. So, yeah, I know that's going to be what the press conference is going to be like. And as I say, I don't expect Mikel Arteta to give too much away. So we are going to speculate a little bit on this edition of the show, but I think that's OK, um, if I'm honest. Anyway, let's um, go over to the chat and say a few hellos. Thanks, by the way, for all the um, the kind words about what I should be taking to stop myself catching colds. Do you know what? Normally I get a cold few days, I'm over it. Bit of a sore throat, bit of a runny nose. This time, though, it sat right on my chest. Uh, 
So there probably will come a point. There it is, where I have where I have to mute the microphone to have a little cough. Um, I'm actually reporting on the Arsenal game tomorrow as well, so I'm dreading um, the fact that I'm, I, they might come to me on the radio and I'm going to be coughing my guts out. Uh, so yeah, want to try and get as as well as possible between now and tomorrow, which is another reason why I wanted to do this early today and get it out of the way. Right. Anyway, let's get into this game then. So. Brentford obviously having a really good season under Thomas Frank. They sit in a really comfortable uh, seventh place in the Premier League, which is something that, you know, I think deserves plenty of praise and plenty of admiration. Only lost four times in the Premier League this season. They do draw a lot of games, though. Nine draws on the board so far for Thomas Frank's side. In fact, let me share this screen with you guys uh, so you can see the stats that I'm referring to uh, whilst obviously... Building up towards this fixture, bear with me one second. Here we go. There we go. From the Premier League's official website. So, seventh place, uh, Sit Brentford at the moment. They've won eight games, drawn nine, lost just four. They average, though, which is quite interesting, 1.67 goals per match, which is pretty good um, when you think about it. It's not a million miles off of two goals a game. And when you think about the reputation that Brentford have, you know, I know when I think of Brentford, I think of hard to beat. I think of a very rigid system. I know they've got attacking quality as well. We know that Ivan Tony is a threat. We know that Brian and Buemo is a threat. Uh, we know that they've got those types of players. But I always think when I think of Thomas Frank, of that structure that they have and the shape and formation with which they play, which often when they play up against the big teams can be, you know, a problem for the opposition. Then you look at sort of average goals conceded per match, 1.33. That surprised me a little bit. I thought it would be slightly less given their league position and given how solid they've been defensively. Eight clean sheets. We've got nine. The bit that really kind of jumped out at me, though, when I looked at these statistics was the chances created per match. Now, we can have a debate and a discussion about what the Premier League's official website classes as a clear-cut chance. And I'm sure, you know, they're... Uh, their sort of criteria will be different to a lot of ours, but we average 1.8. They average 1.81, which means that Brentford, on average, create more clear-cut chances in 90 minutes of football than Arsenal do in the Premier League this season, according to the Premier League website. Make of that what you will. Um, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. When you think about how many goals Arsenal have scored, when you think about where we are in the league. When you think about the fact that we average 2.25 goals per match in the Premier League this season, and they average 1.67, which is still pretty good going. But when you think of the difference in those two statistics, I find it difficult to kind of get my head around the fact that they create on paper more chances than we do. I beg your pardon, my throat is tingling really badly. Let me just have a sip of drink. How unprofessional of me. Um, what can we do? Uh, Wandering Minstrel says, uh, a good Vicks rub down from JLo would do the trick. A man can dream, my friend. Uh, Creambone says, cheers, Harry. I think you've given me your cold. Thanks for nothing, pal. My apologies, mate. Uh, Nav says, uh, I've got a stomach bug, so I'm missing work. Yeah, everyone's everyone's ill at the moment. Um, everyone's feeling a bit under the weather. Thunder Road says, Harry's going to get everyone around him sick. Yeah, it feels that way, doesn't it? I, just, I, I said it yesterday. I actually made a bit of a... No, it wasn't really a joke. Like, I kind of said that 
I feel like I get a lot, I get ill a lot more frequently now that my kids go to nursery and stuff because they seem to get ill more frequently. And a lot of you in the chat said, yeah, that's what happens when you've got young kids. You know, it's just the environment. It's just what it is. And then like I had a comment in the last video from someone saying, how can you blame the kids, man? It's your immune system. Da, da, da. All right, man. <laughs> I get it. I need to do more. I'm on the Lucas age. You can't beat a bit, beat a bit of Lucas Aid original. There you go. Some product placement in the video as well. YouTube, take that. Um, anyway. Right, let's continue on with our preview. Sorry, I got sidetracked there. Uh, top player statistics in terms of goals in the Premier League. Ivan Tony is way out in front of anybody else. He's got five more goals than Martin Odegaard in the Premier League. Now, I know that Martin Odegaard is not a centre-forward, but the fact that Ivan Tony's on 13 and the best Arsenal player is on eight, I think tells you a lot about how reliant Brentford are on Ivan Tony. That's not necessarily a bad thing. There's been plenty of great teams over the years that have had a main focal point, a main goal scorer. Um, and Ivan Tony certainly is that for Brentford. So fair play to him. Um, we've got this thing going on with Ivan Tony, or that was going on. Uh, he famously tweeted, didn't he, um, about the uh, kickabout with his mates in the park after they beat us. Gabriel responded, which is why I've put Gabriel in the thumbnail, because I think that's going to be a really interesting battle tomorrow. And it was funny because Ivan Tony did it and everybody was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, Housery, this is brilliant. This is the kind of banter that we love in football and we want to see in our game. But as soon as Gabriel did it back, it was, oh my God, how disgraceful is that? Gabriel punching down at Brentford, blah, blah, blah. That just, just the way the two things were dealt with in the media were just so different. And yeah, I thought that was a little bit unfair. But yeah, anyway, so... Those are the statistics uh, going into this one. If you look at the form guide, uh, Arsenal, of course, have won three of their last five. There was a draw at home to Newcastle in there. And then, of course, there was that defeat last weekend at Everton. But actually, if you look at it um, without the Arsenal tinted glasses on, I was going to say red tinted, but that would be the same for Brentford. If you take the Arsenal tinted glasses off for a minute, in terms of recent form, Brentford are in better shape. They've won four of their last five Premier League games. They beat Southampton comprehensively last weekend. Uh, they drew at Leeds in the fixture before that, nil-nil. But prior to that, they'd beaten Bournemouth at the GTEC Community Stadium. They'd beaten Liverpool at uh, the same place by three goals to one. And they'd gone and won at West Ham United. So Brentford go into this in better form than the Gunners. And... Um, so they are a team that you cannot take lightly, is what I would say. They're a team that we do need to be wary of. If you look at the recent meetings, there's only been three meetings in the Premier League between these two sides um, in the history of the competition. This is, of course, Brentford's first stint in the English uh, top flight in its current form. Brentford uh, beat us famously, didn't they, back on Friday the 13th of August 2021. Uh, that was the start of what started out to be a really poor start to a season um, for Arsenal. We lost our first three, didn't we? We went on to play Chelsea and Manchester City after that. When you think that this was at the start of last season and you think how far we've come, people were calling for the manager to be sacked at this point. Um, it wasn't good enough. The squad was all over the place, etc., etc. I think this is a game that we can look back at if we want almost quantification of how far we've come as a team. We did beat Brentford at home later on that season. 
on Saturday, the 19th of February. And we've already played them once this season on Sunday, the 18th of September. I was at this game, Arsenal comprehensive winners, uh, dominant winners at the GTEC Community Stadium by three goals to nil in a game that we were without Martin Odegaard for. I remember Fabio Vieira came in that day and had a really, really good game. It is worth noting that Gabriel Jesus was an absolute star that day. And obviously Brentford will be looking at this fixture knowing that he's not available. So um, does that change their approach a little bit? Does that give them a bit more confidence? Maybe. But I've been thinking about this game over the last few days. Like Arsenal haven't played in midweek this weekend. You know, whilst it's nice to get a rest and a break and, you know, to know that the players have been recuperated, uh, have been, what's the word I'm looking for? Re-energised because of that pause. I think there is one concern for me. Following the Everton game last weekend, there was a lot of talk, there was a lot of debate about whether Mikel Arteta was right to make the changes that he did. Whether he was right to bring Jorginho on, whether he was right to bring Leandro Trossard on. There was a lot of conversation sort of in the following days, the, the Saturday evening, the Sunday, the Monday even, it kind of spilled into, I went to work and I was sitting with the guys on 90 minutes, and I remember sort of the guy saying, I don't know if Mikel Arteta should have made those changes, you know, obviously non-Arsenal fans were looking at it and and feeling similar, or at least asking the same questions, and it's hard to gauge whether that's because they watched the game and they genuinely felt like that, or it's because that was the narrative that they'd kind of come across when sort of reading a lot of the reaction to the fixture. Difficult to know exactly, but I was quite defensive of Mikel Arteta and I was quite defensive of Arsenal after that game because for me, it was just a poor all-round performance. And I think that what happened, and I, I explained it last week in a lot of detail, is that, in my opinion, when you are so bitterly disappointed, as a lot of Arsenal fans were, you will look for someone or something to blame. And I thought that the easiest person to blame on the day was Mikel Arteta. But in truth, there was probably eight or nine of that eleven that went out there against Everton and didn't perform anywhere near the level that we know they're capable of. Props to Everton, credit to Everton. They were fantastic. They did their job brilliantly. Sean Dyche had an instant impact. And, you know, I'm sure Everton fans are feeling a lot more confident about their prospects under him. But focusing on the Arsenal angle alone, you know, we underperformed as a team, as a unit. And yet some players were poorer than others. But I think that what happened was we kind of all got caught up in the emotion, the frustration. You know, we're not used to losing this season and everybody needed to find a scapegoat. Now, the problem for me was that, you know, the two substitutions that attracted the most heat. So first of all, the Jorginho one, I think, was one that needed to happen because we knew that Thomas Partey was a fitness doubt going into the game in the first place. So I couldn't quite understand why to so many people it was a shock that he was substituted at that point. He wasn't having a great game on the day anyway, I didn't think. But he comes off after 60 minutes. Jorginho comes on. Jorginho has come in to be the backup to Thomas Partey. Now, some people will like that. Others won't. But at the end of the day, I don't think the, the result or the outcome of the game was going to be any different whether Jorginho came on or whether Partey stayed on because Partey wasn't at the level that we know he can be. And I don't think Jorginho did anything particularly wrong. Is he as mobile? as Partey? No. And, and we kind of went through this the other day. Of course, he's not. Is he as good as Thomas Partey? No, he's not. Not at this stage in his career. And he's a very different type of player. If, if Mikel Arteta was to sit and build a player 
from scratch to play in that deep line midfield position that he has in his system, he would have put together something as close to Thomas Partey as you're going to get because his attributes are perfect. Mikel Arteta couldn't find that in the window. He tried and they tried for Caicedo. They obviously felt that he was someone that could do that role and could do that job, but the price was too much. And on top of that, Brighton had made it very, very clear that he was not for sale in January. So what ended up happening was we ended up moving, pivoting towards Jorginho, who, as I've said all along, can do most of what we asked Thomas Partey to do, not always at the same level, but there are things that obviously he's lacking and I think mobility is the big one there. But that's the man we got in. And as I say, I don't think he did anything wrong at Everton. We just weren't good enough to go on and win the game. The goal being conceded, etc., etc. I've even seen people try and pin that on him. To me, that's just nitpicking. And it, it was no coincidence that when I scrolled through social media after that game, most of the people that were really kind of pointing the finger at Jorginho and Arteta for bringing Jorginho on were the people that just days prior had been very vocal about the fact that they didn't want him to join the club. So it felt like an opportunity for those people to really double down on their point. And, and that's fine. Look, you're entitled to your view. I don't have a problem with that. As I said, um, sort of when I calmed down a little bit on Monday, but I just think, you know, we, we needed to bolster the squad a little bit. We needed to build the squad out a little bit. And we've done that. You know, we've brought Jorginho in. We've brought uh, Jakub Kivior in. We've brought Leandro Trossard in. And so I've gone around the houses a bit, but this brings me to my concern about this match. Um, we play a Brentford side that are very well structured, very well drilled, very strong defensively. I think we're going to require a lot of patience tomorrow. I don't think this is going to be a walk in the park. We'll come on to the prediction a little bit later on. But with the game against Manchester City on the horizon on Wednesday night at the Emirates Stadium under the lights, I am concerned that Mikel Arteta is going to feel like he needs to justify the bolstering of the squad, that he needs to justify bringing Leandro Trossard and Jorginho in. And I'm not saying he is definitely going to do this and hopefully he doesn't. And as I say, you know, we haven't had the press conference at the time of recording this, so maybe he's going to tell us someone's injured and therefore one of these changes becomes an enforced change. But I do worry that he's going to go, well, I've got the players now. I might have to rotate this a little bit. And I just don't think that's the way to go. I think Arsenal's success this season has been built on a very solid starting eleven that when fit plays. And yeah, we've built the squad out to make where it was maybe 13, 14 players that you would say, yep, I can trust these guys. Maybe now it's 15, 16, maybe 17. And that's great. Happy days. But those players should be used later on in the game, I think, depending on the game state. And I don't want to see, and this is not because I don't rate the players, but I don't want to see Jorginho start the game if Thomas Partey's fit enough to and I don't want to see Trossard start ahead of Martinelli if he's fit enough to. And although I have no indication whatsoever that Mikel Arteta will do that or plans to do that, there is a tiny thing in the back of my head nagging away at me saying he might feel he needs to justify the acquisition of these players in January, the spend in January. And I really hope that he doesn't do that. I hope he doesn't fall into that trap. 
If he does rotate a little bit and he gets it right, it will be called the master stroke and it will be called expert management. But I really do think this is where as a manager, you earn your money. It's when you get to points like this, having options is great, but can having options distract you from what works and distract you from what has worked so far? Can it cause not an, an un, like, can it cause an uncertainty? Can it make you think twice about some of the decisions you make? You know, he might've picked Martinelli three weeks ago, even if he was 80% fit and gone, well, I don't really have an alternative, so I've got no choice. Does Leandro Trossard being there tempt Mikel Arteta into making those changes? I hope it doesn't, because I think that would be the wrong way to go. But equally, you know, or, or on the flip side, I should say, you've got, um, you know, you've got someone that you can turn to from the substitutes bench. You've got someone that you can turn to to freshen it up and you've got someone you can turn to who's trustworthy in the event you want to rest someone or give them a bit of a breather or shave 20 minutes off their total before the City game. I beg your pardon. Uh, Football Friends says, so are you backtracking on your Jorginho love? If you rated him as much as you said, then you wouldn't worry about him starting. At no point, did I ever say that I wanted Jorginho to start ahead of Thomas Partey? I said that Jorginho feels like a confident, uh, sorry, competent cover for Thomas Partey in the event that we need it. And he, he's definitely an upgrade on the options that we had. Mohamed Elneny is out now for the rest of the season. That is not an option. Lokonga's moved on now as well. But I trust Jorginho more than I trust Lokonga in that deep-lying midfield role. You know, we've also got Zinchenko. We could bring Tierney into the side. We've also got Granite Xhaka, who could drop back there if we needed him to. Um, so we've got options. The, the point I always made was that Jorginho was an upgrade on the cover. At no point on this podcast, and I challenge anybody to go back and find a clip of me saying that Jorginho is better than Thomas Partey or a better option than Thomas Partey in that position. I'm not going to lose my shit if he starts a game because Thomas Partey's not fit. But if Thomas Partey's available, he's the number one. It's as simple as that. Um, it's honestly as simple as that. Um, AHWR says, Martinelli's been terrible of late. Architectus uh, says, bear with me a second. I disagree on Martinelli. I don't think he's been in the best form. Trossard offers more composure, ability to keep the ball when two players are on him and he's deadly in front of goal. So I'm less against the rotation of Gabriel Martinelli, but I still lean towards the fact that the Brazilian has been so good this season that he needs to play. Trossard is a good option, as I explained, to be able to bring on later on in the game. And I take your point on board about Trossard being good in front of goal but he's different. He brings something different to the table. Maybe we're going to need a bit of different to break down what I expect to be a very solid and frustrating to play against Brentford side. I don't know that I'd go that way from the beginning, though. That's my opinion. Because I also think with Trossard, although look, when he's played for Arsenal so far, he's looked bright. You, you can't deny that. I just think that because of his tendency to drift into different areas of the park and different areas of the pitch, it's, take, it's going to take a little bit of time for... Zinchenko to know what to do around him, for Xhaka to know what to do around him. With Martinelli, you always know that when you break out, he's going to start from the outside. 
Now, he might end up carrying the ball in field. He might make a run in field. But you can bet that as a centre-back playing for Arsenal right now, that when you get the ball, win it back off an opponent, you know that you can look up to your left and you will see Gabriel Martinelli pulled right out to the touchline. And what he does so well is he stretches teams. I accept that against teams that play with a low block in the way that Everton did, he's not always going to get the same joy. And that is something that you, you need to think about and certainly need to consider. But I just think that Martinelli offers this explosivity and directness that we don't really have um, in other areas. Like Saka's great as well, obviously, on the other side, but he's a bit different. Martinelli, for me, is just very all-action, um, very unsettling for defenders. And when you play against the back five, which I think we might come up against tomorrow, I think we might come up against the back three with a couple of wing-backs. Martinelli's width can almost tempt the right-sided centre-back to come out and confront him. And if he does, we all know that Martinelli's got the ability to take people on. And if he can get beyond him, that then causes chaos and pandemonium in the back line. So I I accept that Trossard may be needed tomorrow. And I'm delighted that we have him as an option. And I'm delighted that we can call on him from the bench. But I'd still go with Martinelli from the start. That would be my opinion. Right, let me give you guys uh, my lineup. Just bear with me one second. We're going to take a very short pause and then I'll share with you guys my starting 11 for the game against Brentford. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Right, here we go. Let's look ahead then to this one. What would be my starting 11 for the Gunners tomorrow against Brentford? Well, it's quite easy for me, um, providing everybody's fit. And remember, Mikel Arteta is due to give his update to the press in a little while. I'm going to go with Ramsdale in goal. I'm going to go with uh, White at right back, who was poor, by the way, at Everton, but has had such a good season. I'd put him straight back in, no problem. Uh, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko. Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, Martinelli, Enketia and Saka. That is my 11 to face Brentford. Obviously, it's great that we have additional options from the substitutes bench, but that is what I would go with. Um, let me know in the comments if you'd make any changes um, and I will, um, I'll, uh, I'll see what you guys are saying. Robert agrees with me, says, I'm with you 100%. Do not change the team. Start with our tried and tested 11. Trossard is a great backup. He is indeed. He is indeed. And look, you know, we don't know that this is going to happen. I've said that I expect it to be a difficult game, and I really, really do. But if we are 2 nil up, 3 nil up at some point, you know, and, you know, 65, 70 minutes, then get Thomas Partey off and bring Jorginho on for 20 minutes or whatever to protect Partey ahead of the Man City game. Take Martinelli off. Take Saka off. Like, you've got options to do that now. Take Ben White off. You know, you've got the ability to do that now. And that was the purpose of building out the squad. It wasn't to change the first 11. None of the players that we brought in during the January window were players to come in and replace. They were players to come in and support. And I think a lot of people probably agree with that. I just hope that Mikel Arteta, in now having a slightly bigger squad, does not get tempted to start playing around with things, disrupting the rhythm and disrupting the balance. In terms of a prediction, I'm going to go for a 1-0 Arsenal win. Um, I'm hoping we can get over the line. I do think this is going to be a difficult game. I do think that um, Brentford are a really, really good side. I quite like Brentford. I quite enjoy watching them. 
uh, done a couple of their games this season at the GTEC and and I've really enjoyed what I've seen. I think they're really well coached. I think they've got some great players. I think their recruitment has been excellent. The way they go to sort of certain places and pluck out talents that are really that are really unfashionable. I think it's fantastic and it's a credit to the owners and Thomas Frank and his team and his people as well. And I really do wish them all the best for the rest of the season. But that starts after tomorrow afternoon. Um, that's my prediction. Um, I am going to cut the show short. Um, I am going to leave it there. I've given you my prediction, my lineup, a little bit of context and my big concern and worry about the game. As you can probably tell, especially if you're watching this, I'm having to mute the microphone all the time to cough and my throat is tingling and I'm a mess. Um, and I have got to work on the game tomorrow. So I want to rest up the throat, rest up the voice uh, ahead of that one. And um, I'll be back on tomorrow night uh, to give you guys a review of the game. I'll also be bringing you my post-match player ratings within an hour of the full-time whistle from the Emirates Stadium press box uh, tomorrow as well, if you are a member over on the Another Slice platform. So thank you all so, so much. Um, really appreciate you tuning in. Apologies again that I'm cutting it that little bit short, but I feel like death. See you all uh, tomorrow. Until then, up the Arsenal. Come on, you gunners. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs>